show. I'm Chris Newton, one of the co-hosts, and uh, thank you for listening all around the world. We just had like over a hundred different countries that listen to our show, so we're like a global show. So it's really great to hear all the all the listeners all around the world, and uh, I'm one of the co-hosts, Chris Newton, and I'd like to introduce my other co-host, uh, Jerry Fuller. Uh, how you doing, Jerry? Fantastic. Oh, great. I'm looking forward to our guest, Robin Pascal. Yay! And, uh, with it, uh, if you want to introduce our guest, Jerry, that would be great. Uh, yes, I'd love to, because yeah. I have used Adventures Within Reach this year for my El Sangate Trail trip in Peru. And I tell you, Bibi there did a, such a fabulous job for that trip, part of the trip and the Amazon and Machu Picchu area. And we're thrilled that Robin is with us today. Thank you for coming, Robin. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Robin, for being on the show. And we're excited to hear about all your great adventures. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love talking travel. It's my favorite thing. Oh, so, so I'm <laughs> sure I, we, we can relate. I'm afraid we can relate. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm happy yeah. we can relate. The yeah. I'd like to ask if you could please tell us something about adventures within within reach because I was so impressed. I've heard of your company for quite a few years, at least 10 or so, and um, I've recommended your company to numerous um, clients on travel advice, the company that I own, and um, finally got the opportunity to use you. Would you give us an idea, uh, details about what you do? Absolutely. So we're a little unique in that we offer primarily private trips with customized itineraries. We don't offer so much the, the group tour experience with set departures. So we have on our website a bunch of sample itineraries, which you could almost call like a menu of options, and it gets, gets people started with their travel planning, gives them some ideas, and then from sort of a general itinerary, we can customize it from there for, for their group. So if you're traveling, you know, just a couple with two people or two couples of four people or a group of six people, you're traveling just with your travel companions instead of a group of, say, 20 people doing an itinerary that someone else has put together. And this allows people to add things they want to do, take out things they don't want to do, add a little free time in there. Um, you can do any level of accommodations that you want from sort of budget mid-range up to super luxury or uh, mix and match. So maybe do some uh, mid-range accommodations and then finish with a few luxury hotels for a big finish. So um, it really gives people, you know, the opportunity to put together the 
the ideal trip for them, their trip of a lifetime. Well, I certainly know that worked with my friend and I when we did uh, Peru this summer. Um, we talked about maybe uh, spending some time on Peru. And could you, first of all, talk about the basics? In other words, who would go to Peru? What type of client would most enjoy Peru? Yeah, you know, it's it's really people of all ages and all abilities. Everyone that goes to Peru, they absolutely want to see Machu Picchu. It, right. um, it is a huge draw. A lot of people, they absolutely want to go to Machu Picchu, and they don't even know where it is. But <laughs> they've heard of it, they've seen it, and they want to go. Yeah. And it could be, um, you know, young adults older adults, people bringing their kids, and we just, we tailor the trip to their abilities. So, you know, younger people might want to hike the Inca Trail, and older, less athletic people just want to take the train. Um, it really, it, it's for all people, and, um, and we can cater it to exactly what people want to do. How many days would you recommend if they go to Machu Picchu that they should allow? That, yeah, that is a great question because um, a lot of times people try to do a whirlwind South America trip and, you know, they want to do one day to Machu Picchu and it, it just doesn't quite work like that. So for Machu Picchu, there are a variety of ways to get there. Uh, the, the most popular way is by train. And you can go in and out to Machu Picchu in one day. But, but since most people do that, Machu Picchu is very crowded from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So we really encourage people to spend two days there and one night in the town next to Machu Picchu. It's called Aguas Calientes. And then that gives you the opportunity to see Machu Picchu when there aren't so many people there. So before 10 a.m. or after 2 p.m., and also, if you do a two-day trip, you can hike up Huayna Picchu or Machu Picchu Mountain, which you couldn't do in just a one-day trip. So if you're taking the train to Machu Picchu, you really need at least seven days for your Peru trip. And that includes arrival into Lima, which all the international flights go into Lima. Usually they arrive in the evening, and so you have to spend the night because the flights to Cusco aren't until the morning. So one, the first day is Lima. The second day you go to Cusco. Most people spend two days in Cusco because there's so much to see and do there. By two then, days, you mean three nights? Well, at least two nights. And then on the third day, most people go to the uh -huh. Sacred Valley and spend a full-day tour in the Sacred Valley, and you spend the night there and then take the train to Machu Picchu, two days there, and then you work your way back. So you have to go from Machu Picchu back to Cusco, back to Lima, and invariably that takes about seven days to do the logistics of all that and to really see the area. Okay. And then if you want to hike the Inca Trail, that really makes it into a 10-day trip. Could you talk then, a little if, bit, mm -hmm. could I interrupt just a second, because could you talk a, a minute or two on the Inca Trail, the different 
ways you can do it. And, yes, I would love and the to. Because I did it one time so. for about a week, and I hope I never do that again. <laughs> but I never had that so dirty and wet and cold in my life. <laughs> yeah, but. the Inca Trail, it's sort of like Stairmaster gone bad. It's there's <laughs> these big, really? I don't know how these little tiny Inca people could hike up these very tall steps. And they go up, 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 and then down, 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 then up, 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 and down, down, down. Now, and tell it how, is how, quite a workout. Tell, a great workout. Tell how yeah. up and down they go in one day. It's unbelievable. That's perfect. Yeah, and so the highest pass is 15,000 feet. Oh, my gosh. But you don't sleep that high. You sleep um, really usually below 14,000 feet. So it is definitely an altitude experience. Um, you can hike, so there's the Inca Trail, which is made famous by all the marketing, and you can do the Inca Trail in one day, in four days, or in five days. Um, for the one-day hike, that's you take the train most of the way to Aguas Calientes, the town right at Machu Picchu, and you get off the train and you just hike the last little bit to the sun gate of Machu Picchu. It's a lovely walk. It can be hot and it is up and down and you go past Winnie Wina, which is another beautiful ruins. And so that's kind of a easy, if you're looking for a nice hike, but you don't want to do the camping, you can do that. And then most people spend the night in Aguas Calientes and do one more visit to Machu Picchu before they head back. Um, and then the to do the full trek, you need four or five days. Uh, we recommend five days because um, on the five-day trek, you're in camps where a lot of people don't stay, so you're more by yourself. On the four-day trek, you're at the camps where everyone else is staying, and they can get pretty crowded. Um, and on the five-day trek, both treks, it's, it's about three and a half days of hiking. And um, on the five-day trek, you hike in, and then you spend the night in Agos Calientes, go back on the fifth day up to Machu Picchu, and then return on the train. Four-day hike, you get up in the middle of the night, and you hike to Machu Picchu to enter the sun gate at sunrise, which is nice, but it means you're hiking for a long time in the dark, um, and then you get to Machu Picchu, you do your tour that day, and you take the train right back. So it's a little more rushed, and um, I, I, I like the five-day better. But sometimes people are just short on time, and so we offer the four-day trek as well. Then, so that's the Inca Trail. Um, but there are other Inca trails, other trails that the Incas built and used. And, um, and they also go near around Machu Picchu, um, the most popular of which is the Sulcan Tay route. And that takes you kind of around the other side of Machu Picchu, and you do have to take the train in. Uh, you don't actually enter through the Sun Gate, but it's a lot less crowded on the Sulcan Tay route. It's arguably more beautiful. So that's an interesting way. Oh, you also don't need permits on the Salkante route. And so a lot of times people want to do the Inca Trail, but the permits are sold out, so they'll do the Salkante instead. 
also on so the Salkante and the Inca Trail, it's a camping trek. And it is fully supported. You have a guide. You have porters carrying your heavy gear. You have a cook to cook your meals. So it's it's very um, it's like glamping, where uh, you All know right. you have this full support system. Um, but it is camping. You are sleeping on the ground on a thermarest. On the Sulk and Tay route, there's a luxury lodge to lodge option. It's a little bit longer. It's seven days, but there you're hiking from a lodge to another lodge to another lodge, and they're beautiful luxury lodges, um, and so you aren't doing the camping thing, and it's really a spectacular option. It's a little bit more expensive, obviously, but well worth it, in my opinion. I agree. Alrighty, so after we got back to Lima from Cusco and Machu Picchu, what other parts of Peru would you recommend? Yeah, so if you have more time to spend in Peru, the most popular add-on is the Amazon Rainforest. There's two places to do the Amazon. One is up north in Iquitos, and the other is in an area called Puerto Maldonado. Iquitos is perhaps a more authentic remote experience but it also is a longer travel time getting there it's a little bit more expensive so most people end up doing the Puerto Maldonado Amazon trip uh, often in three days but you could easily spend five days there and the second most popular add-on is Lake Titicaca which is the highest navigable lake in the world it is uh, about 12,000 feet, and the most popular thing to see there are the floating islands, and just it's more of a cultural experience, seeing how the people live around this lake, and, and some of the people that actually built islands out of reeds, and they have a whole village on this floating island that they have built wow. on the wow. lake, wow. so it's, it's very interesting. Um, and and that also is often done in three days. And um, near there, which so can be added on from Lake Titicaca or done on its own, is Arequipa and the Colca Canyon. And the Colca Canyon is famous for the condors. And so you go to this, um, of a, you know, go to the top of a canyon, and the condors fly up and they catch the the breezes and these giant condors are flying around you so that's spectacular and the other thing that some people like to do it's near Lima it's the Nazca lines which mm. are you know where where aliens came and made um, you know figures in the ground and oh. <laughs> and so you Sounds can great. fly over oh, and nice. look at this artwork that's that's created in the ground from oh, ancient yeah. times and, and what's the name of that again robin there what's nazca n-a-z-c-a nazca lines because they oh, look I... like lines like line drawings oh, okay. Um, and so, but it is an overflight. You don't drive and look at it. You fly oh, okay. in a small airplane over it to to see that. Wow. So pretty, Could pretty I ask unique a question? and unusual. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done that four times, and each of the times that I've done it, 
because it's, a, as you mentioned, a small plane that mm-hmm. um, because they want everyone in the small plane to be able to see everything, each time I've done it, and they do it for a while, uh, I've got sort of, I don't want to say air sick. I didn't get sick, but I got a little dizzy. And, does that happen to many people that do that? Or anybody else? I that haven't weird heard... One? I haven't heard that. Over time, they have improved the airplanes. So Uh. years and years ago, um, some of the planes were a little tough (laughs) in tough shape. And um, now they don't don't use (laughs) airplanes like they use nicer airplanes that feel safer and and are perhaps more comfortable. So um, that's something they've done over time, improved the airplanes. Um, and then, you know, if, it, depending on your interests, there are so many other things to do in Peru, some little tours, like a, a cooking class, it, nice. which is always fun. So you, you buy some of the food at the market, and then you learn how to cook with it, a, a traditional meal. Oh, nice. And, of course, there's always a pisco sour involved. And um, so that a lot of people like that. You can go visit some local weavers, which is a great cultural experience. They'll have there's a you know a dinner and folkloric dancing show, which is fun to watch. Um, out of Lima, there's something called the Palomino Isles. It's a, just a day tour out, and um, it's an island with a bunch of sea lions, and you go snorkeling with the sea lions. So people really like that. So you can easily spend two, three weeks or more and not do everything. Fantastic. I want to ask one Um, more question before we go mm -hmm. into Tanzania. Could Mm -hmm. you tell us when the best time to go if you want to do a, shall we we say, an inclusive tour of Peru or a lot of it? Is there such a thing? Yeah, so, well, let's start with, with kind of the worst time to go which okay. is February is the rainiest month of the year, and the Inca Trail is actually closed that entire month, not only because it's rainy, but they do um, work on the trail for that month. They oh. send people in to clean it up and do any trail work that needs to be done. So the months, you know, January, February, March are going to be sort of the rainiest. Um, is that nationwide? Well, it's going to be at Machu Picchu, which is where oh. people want to go. Yeah. And um, and you could say that December is even a little bit rainy, but it's very popular. For Christmas and New Year's, it's mm-hmm. very popular and crowded there, just because a lot of people have the vacation time. So um, with, with when not to go, not, not that this is a bad weather time, but July and August are going to be the most crowded because that's when everyone is taking their vacations. So great weather, but it's it's going to be extra crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of that late spring to early summer and then kind of early to mid-fall would be sort of the best time with weather and not so crowded. Good. Um, I did want to mention, so the the Inca Trail, they do limit the number of permits for the Inca Trail, and they can sell out six months in advance. Oh, my gosh. Really? Wow. 
a lot of people are disappointed that they can't, you know, they have, you have to be really flexible. If that particular trail is important, you have to plan ahead or be flexible in your dates or do an alternate trek. Um, and one other thing I wanted to mention about Peru is a lot of people try to combine Machu Picchu with the Galapagos, which is in Ecuador. (laughs) And it is possible. It's, it's, it's a minimum of a two week trip. I personally don't recommend it because there's so much to see and do in each country that you're, it's too quick of a trip, and you're just seeing a little bit of each country instead of really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, if this is your only trip to this area ever in your life, then yes, definitely combining the Peru with the Galapagos is, is an option and worth considering if, if, that's, if that's your one trip to the area. So let's go on to Tanzania one of the most unique countries in East Africa. Well, it's it's unique for a number of reasons. Um, For the safari portion, what makes it unique is the very famous Serengeti and Ngorongoro Crater. And they are just spectacular destinations. And then on top of that, Tanzania has Kilimanjaro. And that's, that will be forever a draw and um, one of their highlights. So anyone climbing Kilimanjaro, it just makes sense that you then add on a safari as well. And the other thing to do there that's very popular is going over to Zanzibar Island, which has kind of two parts. There's Stone Town, which has a very strong Arab influence and really unique town and then the beautiful beaches uh, very Caribbean like with white soft sand beaches and warm blue water so it's a great way to finish off a trip if you have the time about uh, how long uh, would you recommend as a minimum to do Zanzibar and Ngorongoro Crater and Serengeti yeah so let me start with the safari. Um, given that the two highlights are the Serengeti and Ngorongoro Crater, you really need a minimum of five days on safari to get to the Serengeti, just because of the driving times, and you don't want to kill yourself driving from place to place. <laughs> People really underestimate the driving times and how rough those roads are or yes, it, you indeed. know it is africa mm-hmm. <laughs> yes and it can be very dusty sometimes of the year it can be very oh, yeah. dusty yeah. yep and um and if you have more time that's even better because in five days it still is you're getting to all the places but it's 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 pretty rushed it's boom 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 or going 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 and if you have six or seven or eight days you can relax a little bit and um, maybe do something besides just a game drive. Um, so most Americans, if they're doing, especially if they're doing Kilimanjaro, they just do a five-day safari because that, with the trek and the safari, that's your two-week vacation. Mm. Um, but we offer uh, safaris of any, any number of days, from one day to ten days or more. And you can start on any day, but we also offer 
group safaris that are a better price just for the safari portion and they have set departure dates those are either five days or seven days because those are some nice round numbers there mm-hmm. um, and I recommend on the safari there's different types of accommodations there's safari lodges which are nice and comfortable and and they usually have some pretty nice character but there's also tented camps which are more of a you know kind of an out of Africa experience if you know that movie yep. and they're there are two types of tented camps. There's permanent tented camps, which it's almost like a hotel, but um, but the rooms have canvas walls instead of solid walls, and they're separated, which is nice. And they have plumbing. You have your own. You have a bed. You have a shower. You have plumbing. You have electricity, and then they have mobile tented camps, which means they they move the camp depending on where the migration is. And when they move the camp, it's gone. You can't even tell that it was there. So that means there's no cement, there's no plumbing, there's no permanent electricity. Um, so you will still have you know, a nice soft bed and you will have a private bathroom, but it's going to be kind of a bucket shower. Like, they call it a safari shower, but it's like a bucket of warm water. And so it's not water on demand, it's, it's you know, right after the safari, they fill up, you know, your hot water. And you have a private toilet, but it's going to be, a, you know, a chemical toilet, you know, something more portable. And they'll have solar lights. But, boy, you really feel like you're out in the bush. And you can hear the animals at night. And oh, wow. it's yeah. it's just a great experience. So I usually recommend people kind of mix it up a little bit, you know, a little bit of the lodge and a little bit of the tented camp experience. Yeah, yeah, they, they have and, like have two experiences there, you know, with the lodging. Yeah. Do you recommend that the hot air balloon ride is? I love the hot air balloon ride. Um, it is pricey for for what you get, but um, you know, you get up at dawn. You're you're doing the balloon over the Serengeti and then you're usually up for about an hour. If it's during the migration it's awesome because you can see all the animals and they will go down low so you can kind of see them up close and then they go up high so you can see an overall view and when you land they do this this great breakfast out in the bush with champagne and and it really is a unique experience so if you can afford it I highly recommend it I've done it a couple of times, and the animals weren't spectacular. It kind of it depends on the day, but still, seeing the animals from that viewpoint, I think, is just incredible. And being out in the bush like that is yeah. is amazing. Yeah, I, and go ahead. Well, most people that, and I agree totally with you that uh, it's one of the highlights of the trip in, in the Serengeti. Yeah, and we've even had some people book a like a budget camping safari, but then they do the the hot air balloon. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. You just have to yeah. you know gauge where what's important to you. So, right. yeah. um, and some other interesting things you can do on the safari is you can visit the Maasai village. And they're, they're a little touristy, but it, it is nice to be able to go in and they, they do some of their 
traditional songs and dances. They do this dance where they jump up really high without bending their knees. I don't know how they do it. And um, they're dressed beautifully, and you can take lots of photographs, and then they take you in the home, and you can see how they live, which is really interesting. And um, then, of course, they try to sell you some jewelry. But, you know, it's worth it just to be able to see a little bit of the culture. Um, And there's also the Olduvai Gorge, which is where um, they have a great museum of the Leakey's work where they found some of the oldest fossils, humanoid fossils, and that's interesting. Um, Off the beaten path, there's another remote tribe um, called, they they call them the Bushman tribe, and they literally live off the land. They have no permanent homes. They just hunt and gather, and you can go visit them wherever they're living at that moment in time, and it's it's really... um, an interesting look at uh you know they're almost like cavemen you know the way they live and they that's they don't want to move into villages they want to stay living like that so it's nice to support that culture as their land diminishes over time um it's kind of a dying culture so that's interesting as well so um, there are some things that you can do that aren't just typical that you can get off the beaten path as well. So that's nice. So many nights do you think you should stay at the Ngongoro Crater? You know, I really recommend just kind of one, one night, one day, because the crater is amazing, but mm-hmm. it's, it's small. And you can really see most of it in a day. The, the only benefit to doing two days there would be because it's really the one place in Tanzania where you can see the rhino and so if that's important to you you may not see it in one day I've I've seen it every time I've been although sometimes it's pretty far away it's like oh yeah look there's this little speck over there and that's the rhino (laughs) so we can check it off the list but um but if you know, it's really hit or miss. You can it can cross the road right in front of you, and so you see it. But the car behind you it comes around the corner, and the rhino is gone. Right. They didn't see it. So if if that's important to you, then I could see doing two days in the Ngorongoro Crater. But mm-hmm. um, typically, we just do one day, and, and you've seen most of it. Versus the Serengeti, you could spend two weeks and not get to right. all the corners because it's huge. It is, isn't it? Um, it is, yeah. And then um, the other parks that we visit on just about every safari is Lake Manyara, Lake Manyara and or Terengiri. And Terengiri we visit June through October because mm-hmm. it has some water sources there that, are, that the animals congregate around. And the, the elephants, the big herds of elephants, that gather in Terengiri are amazing. And then Lake Manyara, we visit um, the other months of the year. The animals tend to move over to that area. So usually you visit three, a minimum of three parks and possibly four if you're doing a longer safari. Mm-hmm. Now, Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro. <laughs> so there actually, there are many different routes on Kilimanjaro, they range from five days 
to eight days, or I suppose you could spend more if you wanted. Um, five days is really too short. It, it, it is doable, but um, the success rate is pretty low, and I think people are pretty miserable on summit day. It's a high mountain. People underestimate it. It's 19,340 feet. And, um, you know, those of us that climb 14,000-foot peaks in Colorado think we're pretty mountainous. But, boy, <laughs> it's it's a big jump from 14 to 19,000 feet. Yes, it's, yeah. it, is, <laughs> it is high. That summit day is just pretty miserable, no matter what, what you do. Um, so, and again, we offer private treks any day of the year on any of the routes. We also offer some group treks on set departure dates, and those set departure dates tend to be uh, see summit on a full moon, mm-hmm. or oh. New Year's Eve, or um, actually a new moon is is also popular because then you see all you have all the stars, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's on the seven day Machame route, which is probably the most popular route and number of days of all of them. And the other route that we recommend a lot is the Rongai route, which starts on the northeast side of the mountain. On the, it's the border with Kenya. And so you go up the northeast side and you come down kind of the south side. And very few people do that route. And it's actually one of the easier routes. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's good if you have a big group or if you want more of a wilderness experience because um, like July and August again very popular time for people to hike or to travel and those the camps can be very crowded yes, and indeed. people are sometimes yeah they're a little dismayed they get to <laughs> camp they think they're you know in the middle of nowhere there's a hundred people at camp it's like where did all these people come from yeah. so um and versus on the wrong guy route, you might be the only group, or maybe there's one other group, and that's it. So that's the one that we did, a friend and I did about four years ago, and I think that's the best. Cause did you do did you do six days or seven days on the wrong guy route? We did six days. Six days, and do you remember if you camped at Mwenzi Tarn or not? Ooh. It's like a little, it's like a little lake, a little pond. Yes, we did. Right at the, okay. Yes, that, and, they got the water so from there and boiled it. Yeah, and so there's two ways to go up the wrong guy route. One is really just kind of a straight line up the mountain. No, we and, cur- and we, we crisscross. Right, and the other right. way is you go up and you take a left and you, right, right, <laughs> and you go that's, over to Mwenzi Tarn and up. Yes, and that's some people. I did I did that onesie tarn way in six days and I loved it. But some people think it's too much hiking, and really? so for those people we just send them straight up the mountain. But for some people it's not enough hiking. You know, you get to camp at noon and you have nothing to do for the rest of the day. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that onesie tarn camp is one of the most beautiful camps on on any of the routes on the mountain. So yeah, well, we uh, we really took nice. that because. The fellow that, uh, well, I went with him, uh, he said, I'd climbed it before, and he says, you've got to do it with me because I've never been. <clears throat> and as a result, I let him choose it, and he chose that. And because he is a photographer, 
and he and we had our private guide and mm-hmm. I think it was seven porters and a cook and a waiter and mm-hmm. uh, we each had our own guide and you know I even learned from the first time <clears throat> to pay $75 extra to, to have a guide just carry my day pack right. I didn't want it to be miserable <laughs> because it's quite a climb isn't it it is. Well, and especially if you have a lot of camera equipment, right. it's nice That's to have an extra porter just helping yes. you with all the heavy yeah, with camera the, equipment. Yeah. And it turned out, like yeah. yeah, it turned out that he ended up, most of the stuff he carried was his camera equipment. And I right. made him pay uh, half of that $75 at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, once you get to Uruuru, um, I mean, to um, Kibo Hut, mercy. That last bit is interesting, isn't it? it? It's just, and I feel really strong until, I don't know, 17.5 to 18. I'm like, this is easy. This is great. I'm going to get to the summit. I'm going to do push-ups. I'm going to do all these cool things. Yeah. And I get to 18. I'm like, all right, get me get me off the mountain. And you have another over 1,000 to go. Jeez. And, and then you've just, got an hour and a half to walk to the top. Yes, and it doesn't look that steep it's just it looks flat but boy it is just a huge effort it is just exhausting and and really at that point it kind of comes down to you know how badly you want it and (laughs) and a lot of people they get to the crater rim and you know you feel like you're on top of the world and it's like you know i'm i'm done i'm this is this is the summit for me i'm at the you know, top of the crater, and and they'll turn down, turn around at that point. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. huh. But the people that go on, yeah, it, it looks like it's not that much further, but it's a it huge is. effort. <laughs> <laughs> but coming down is fantastic. Uh, my friend, yes. you know the scree that's sort of at the top? My mm-hmm. friend, sort of with his feet, sort of act like he's skiing down. Like his right, powder. yeah, you can just kind of go fade down the scree. Well, no, he zigzagged down. He oh, okay. zigzagged down, down that scree with his poles, and when he got to, when he wanted to turn, he put him in, and he turned 45, 90 degrees, and up. And the guys almost, and the porters just about died. Well, not porters, but the guys almost died of laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it a relief when you get down to, get down to Kibo Hut? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's uh, great. That's a it's probably in the top ten best things I've ever done in my life once I got back. Well, and for most people, it is the hardest thing they've ever done. It really pushes your envelope. It it really is an accomplishment. You, it it really is going beyond your comfort zone and and making it happen. It's yeah, it's definitely an experience of a lifetime. I know it. Now let's go to Zanzibar, which is my favorite part of Tanzania. Hold on. Can I, I just want to mention one more thing about Kilimanjaro. Yeah, no problem. Is that, um, that we are a partner with KPAP, which is the Kilimanjaro Porters Assistance Project. It's a nonprofit that monitors how the porters are treated on Kilimanjaro. And I think what they do is so very important because a lot of times the porters are working for no wages, just tips, 
they aren't fed properly, they don't have proper clothing or tents, and they're treated very poorly for the amount of work that they do. And so I really appreciate the efforts that this um, the KPAP group does to make sure that porters are treated properly. That's great. And um, we're very proud to have that partnership because it means that we're doing a good job with that. And they will actually put porters on a track, and we don't know it. They're, you know, kind of secret porters, if you will, and they're looking around at, at you know, how, what the food is that's served and and how they're treated. And, oh, great. Um, so it's really a, a great organization. Ooh. All right, yeah. on to Zanzibar. What was your question about Zanzibar? Oh, uh, let's just talk about Zanzibar because that's my favorite part of all of Tanzania. Because mm. it's I love Tanzania. it too. Some people, yeah, some people say, "Oh, I I've been to the Caribbean. I don't really need to do Zanzibar." But boy, it just sounds exotic, doesn't yeah, I know. it? You have <laughs> it sounds to, really I mean, cool. the road to yeah. Zanzibar with Bob Hope, you have to go, don't you? <laughs> I've, I've had people say, you mean that's a real place? <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds like out of a movie, yeah, totally. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you fly into, um, the airport is just outside Stonetown, which is the, kind of the one main town on the island, and it's called Stonetown because the buildings are actually made of stone, and, and they're quite tall, some, well, two or three or four stories tall, and they have these narrow, windy alleys that are, are very, yeah, very narrow. You, can, you can't really drive through the center of town because it's such, um, such narrow little walkways. Easy to get lost in there because they're all windy and really interesting. It, and like I said, a strong Arab influence so it just has a whole different look and feel about it than the rest of Tanzania. And then um, the beaches are surround the island. They're on all sides. And some people just go to their beach hotel and sit and do nothing, kind of a way to uh, kind of rest before your, your introduction back to the real world. Um, but you could also fill your days um you could go scuba diving um or snorkeling there's uh there's some spice plantations in the middle of the island and so you can go visit these farms and they show you all the spices uh, and they climb up a giant palm tree and get your coconut for you we try all these tropical fruits um in the south of the island is Josani forest where the um the red colobus monkeys live, and they're endemic to to Zanzibar. It's the only place they live, and they've been habituated. So as you walk through, they may reach down and kind of pick at your hair. And so that's a great experience. Um, there's a bay in the south of the island where wild dolphins hang out. And so you can go snorkeling with the dolphins, but it's not like in a pen. It's actually out in the wild so that's pretty exciting so you can either just do nothing or you can do something every day so it's um it offers a little bit for everyone is there a better part of the island to stay if you want beaches as your primary reason for going boy or does it really we matter can, 
yeah, we tend to sell mostly, well, two areas, either the kind of far north tippy top area, north Mm -hmm. to northeast side of the island, or the southeast. And they're they're both great. Um, The sand is nice, and it kind of varies from, you know, like every hundred feet might be slightly different. So Mm. one section might be a little rocky, like coral. It's coral Mm -hmm. in the water, but, you know, a hundred feet left or right, there's none of that. Um, The tides are very pronounced. So at high tide, it's very high, and at low tide, sometimes you can walk a half a mile out into the ocean and still be, you know, waist deep. so that, those are the two areas, kind of north, northeast, and the southeast areas we sell Party. the most of. Fantastic. Yeah. I'd like to ask this. Are there any uh, currents in those areas that might take you away? No. You know, no, like, dangerous currents. Um, one time we, we were at a hotel and we walked out at low tide. And walked way out, and they had a, you know, reef out there. Right. We walked all the way out to the reef, um, and there are sea urchins, so you have to wear those, um, you know, those rubber uh, kind of scuba shoes. Right. And you walk out, and then the tide was coming in, mm-hmm. and so we just laid down with our snorkel equipment, and the tide just carried us up way back in oh, cool. so <laughs> that fabulous. was great. yeah it was fabulous yeah. and yeah not dangerous at all yeah. very safe um we were with my son at the time who i think he was six years old and oh. he loved it oh yeah and so great yeah now is there a better time to go to tanzania uh so let me again tell you what months <laughs> not to go okay. <laughs> And that is April and May are the rainy months. And okay. there are time, and you can still travel. It usually, it's not like a monsoon in April and May, but um, sometimes the roads in the Serengeti become impassable. So um, also it's very discounted in those months. But I think, you know, especially if you're taking pictures and whatnot, I think uh, better off not in the rainy season. And then again, July and August are the busiest, the most crowded. Uh, weather is great, but um, but it can be very crowded. And like at the Ngorongoro Crater, when there's a rhino, or you know some, or in Serengeti, if there's a leopard, you can have ten or twenty cars grouped Ooh. around this animal, especially in July and August. Mm. Versus if you go more of a shoulder season. Um, you won't have quite as many cars grouping up like that. Well, Robin, we want to thank you very, very much for being our guest. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. I love talking about yeah. my favorite places in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I know. I, I, yeah, I, I've learned so much. I haven't been to Peru or Tanzania, but now I, I, it's on, I, I'm writing down, okay, when do I, when do I go, you know? And, uh, yeah, right. no, that's awesome. No, Robin, you were a great guest, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, being on the show. Yeah, and Robin, would you, you please so tell our li- yeah. would you please tell our listeners how they can contact you? Yeah. Yes, yeah. our website is adventures 
WithinReach.com. Adventures is plural. Adventures Within Reach is all one word. You can email us at travel at adventureswithinreach.com. Our uh, direct number is 303-500-5047. And we would love to talk with you. Well, thank you very much. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to our show from all around the world. We really appreciate that. And we'd like to uh, give a shout-out. Thank you to Stephen Pratt for helping compose the music, the wonderful intro and the ending of the show. And i also like to uh, say thank you to James Steed uh, for helping with the website and audio information. And also Nate Scholes um, about uh, getting us on the right track and helping us on the podcast on Travel Advice Show. Um, So thank you so much, and uh, enjoy all your travels around the world.